Welcome to Women Read Scripture. I'm Mariana Richardson. And I'm Annette Marie Lantos Tilleman Dick. Well, and today is a very special time for us to talk about Easter. It's I love such... Easter. Me too. I've always loved Easter. Before I was a before I understood all the things that Easter was about, I loved Easter. There was something of such joy and well, delight and in it. There's something about the symbol of Easter in terms of springtime too, that as we talk about the symbols of you know, being rejoicing, resurrection, getting away from death, uh, you know, winter when everything dies or goes to sleep. And then we see the the beauty of the trees blossoming and the bulbs, you know, breaking forth. It, it's just such a, a beautiful image, too, for everything that happens around Easter time. I love that Mariana and I don't talk about this beforehand necessarily. And I feel so much the same way. I feel like the world testifies of the resurrection at Easter in a way that is so profoundly joy-filled and meaning-filled. We, my late husband and I eloped for our wedding on the first day of spring. And oh, I, love I, I love that spring brings with it such promise. New family, new yeah. life, all of those beautiful images. But that is one thing that I love about Easter, that I think as we talk about Easter, it is a joyous time. And yet there is that the sin and death, which is, you know, those things that we also have to deal with here on this life. And yet there is the joy and the hope of realizing that we have a glorious future, eternal future in front of us. And so for me, as I read through the Easter story, and I hope that all of us do, as we think and ponder upon our Savior this Easter time, that we really contemplate what that meant in terms of sin and death, but also new life. And so we have in the story of Gethsemane this idea, and we talked about this just last time, about the power of his will becoming the will of the Father. And in Gethsemane, him saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible... Let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. And in the Matthew version, he actually says it twice, the prayer. But he goes and prays three times, oh. Matthew. And and but that's right. And I I and it's a li I, I love I mean that is so powerful to me. Um I was thinking, Mariana, as you talked about this reading the whole story, which is very powerful to read. And in fact, it covers a many chapters from really from when Jesus comes into Jerusalem and was so celebrated and rides on the little donkey that he has his, his disciples get for him. He knows and to and comes to celebrate the Passover. Um, in, in our Come Follow Me manual this year, they suggest that one way we can keep Easter in our family is by following all the things that Jesus day, did that whole during week. that week. Mm -hmm. And they really are, they aren't just things, that, it's a whole way of being. And I think that as we read that and share it with ourselves and with our families, it will help infuse Easter with the spirit of our Savior, who we celebrate. Oh, I agree. And the interesting thing, too, about that is, as you read it, you realize in one week what happens in the life of the Savior from the time where they're singing Hosanna and shouting his praises and waving palm branches. And he is teaching, teaching, teaching. He doesn't miss an opportunity. He doesn't. He doesn't. And then we have... The Passover, where we have the beautiful sacrament that's brought there. But then that night, we have Gethsemane, and then the crucifixion, and then that time of sadness as they're thinking about their Savior that is now buried in the tomb, and then the glorious Easter morn. It is so powerful to think about all those things. But 
the power for me of this story is you talk about how we should read every day with our families is the change that I hope it brings into our lives of deliverance, of hope, of joy, that we too can shout, Hosanna, save us now. Those same kind of thoughts and feelings should come into our own lives and the lives of our family as we think about Easter. You know, um, as I have said, not once, but many times, that in the last while we lost, um, not lost, Every time I say lost, I feel my husband saying, I am not lost. My my husband died on April 10th, and my daughter, Charity, died on um, April 23rd. And both of them were near Easter. And as much as we each, through the Savior, have personal deliverance from sin and death, the death that sin is for us yeah. in our lives in our hearts, in our perspectives on on everything. It is a wonderful thing for those of us who have, and all of us have people we love who have died, to look at the world coming alive again and to realize this is a time when we celebrate what we believe is a fact, yes. <laughs> that Jesus died. He was crucified for all to see on the cross. And he was resurrected. He returned to life. He was witnessed by so many people. So many people. We're going to and, talk about those witnesses yes, in just a moment. But it, it infuses life with a lot of hope. Oh, definitely. Now, along with that, as I you know talk about this, it also changes me. And I love the image that C.S. Lewis does about uh, God's transforming power in terms of my life. And he says... Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you are not surprised. But presently, he starts <laughs> knocking the house about in ways that hurts abominably. You see, he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. And for me, that is a wonderful image. You know, we've built many houses, my husband and I, as we've moved around, uh, around the country. And it is a painful process to build a house. If anybody who has built a house knows, and it takes always longer then you think it's going to take. You know, I always say you multiply it by two. You think it's going to take a year and a half, it's going to take three. And and so because of that, I it gives me hope. I love that analogy, that parable, if you want to say, about building a house that C.S. Lewis brings in. I love that. I love that description of C.S. Lewis, and it has been forever with me. It, it's in the introduction to his group of essays called Mere Christianity, mm -hmm. which I strongly strongly advise to anyone to read because they are marvelous, marvelous are. essays. And um, recently, I'm just going to mention this, recently I ordered a book on my listening books, you know, mm -hmm. whatever it is that I listen to the books on. And um, I thought I was ordering mere Christianity. I'm not good about ordering things. I'm not good about the internet. I'm not good about anything. And so, you know, it sort of thrusts before me on my phone that if you don't do it now, you'll lose whatever. So I, I go there. And right. and I saw mere Christianity. I said, oh, I love mere Christianity. I'd like to be able to listen. I always sure. have read it. Sure. I've never listened to it. I'd love to be able to listen to it. So I'll order it. But it was actually a book about mere Christianity. It's a great marketing idea. It says mere Christianity. <laughs> But it's a book about mere Christianity. When I saw that, I was sort of disappointed. But it was excellent as well. And that metaphor, along with many that C.S. Lewis tucks into that wonderful volume, um, I think is so important for us as we do this walk of this life. Mm -hmm. That the Lord, there are lots of things that hurt that are not comfortable, that take a lot longer than we thought they'd take. And to remember 
that we were pre- we were quite happy with a cottage. I was I'd be happy with a yeah. cottage, yeah. a cute little cottage, you know, that works properly. But the Lord has bigger plans for us. He does. And if we leave ourselves open to them, He will use all of these experiences to bring us to bear the fruit that He wants us to bear ultimately. Well, and that's the reason why I'm hoping that as we talk about these things, yes, we need to talk about the trials and the the difficulties that happened, but we also need to focus on the joyous hope. And Elder Corbridge in General Conference did a wonderful talk called The Way. And I love the fact that General Conference usually happens right around Easter time. It's in April. Yes. And so it's an opportunity for us to think and ponder upon the Savior as we think about General Conference. But he said, the Lord's way is not hard. I think all too often we talk too much about the trials and how hard it is. And and he's saying, no, the Lord's way is not hard. Life is hard. Yes. Not the gospel. No, no. (laughs) There is an opposition in all things, everywhere for everyone. Life is hard for all of us, but life is also simple. We have only two choices. We can either follow the Lord and be endowed with his power and have his peace, light, strength, knowledge, confidence, love, and joy, or we can go some other way, any other way, whatever other way, and go it alone. Without his support, without his power, without guidance in darkness, turmoil, doubt, grief, and despair. And I ask, which way is easier? And I think that the key is we've got to embrace it all. Yes. And if, if you have embraced this path of the Savior and you feel life is still just one big trial, hug harder <laughs> to it. I would say look at yourself and ask yourself, what am I not fully folding in. And it's not that your life will be easy, but when you have trials, you will realize there is a path through those trials that involves really trying to do the will of the Lord, right, right. which oftentimes requires giving your five barley loaves and two fishes up. We talked last you know, time. You have to be able, willing to give those, give it all. And in return, you will receive the peace and the well-being that that is part of a way that is not hard. It is much simpler. We were talking last time or a few weeks ago about the yoke oh, and yeah. that the yoke right. is easy to bear, that it it has a way of distributing the weight of life. The and, Savior does. And I love this quote, too, because he's saying that it's life that's hard. We don't blame, you know, the Lord. We don't blame the Lord for these trials. It's just life that's what happens. Life just happens. And so because there's opposition in all things and because this is a test, we're going to have those trials, but it's not the Lord's fault. What we have the opportunity to choose is his help. And I am not as good as you at bringing all my resources with me, but there was a wonderful quote in our manual. Again, our wonderful Come Follow Me manual, which I suggest to everyone. Everyone can get it. It's published by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And it's on your phone. Anybody your can get it on your phone for free. Yeah, it's um, wonderful. And there was a quote in there that I truly loved. It says, life has many trials and tribulations. Some of them we bring upon ourselves by sin. Some of them come to us by, the, by things that others have done. And some of them are just life. And I love that. It was just such a wonderful summation Mm -hmm. of the fact that there are difficult things. Some of them, and we know which ones they are usually, if we think carefully and honestly, are our own fault. Some of them are the fault of others, and that happens. And some of them are just life unfolding. And no matter what those trials, no matter what way that they come into your life, they will be the it will become simpler and easier if the Savior is your companion. Exactly. The other thing that I wanted to talk about just for a moment was the living Christ. We are also so blessed to really believe in a living Christ, 
a Christ who is truly resurrected in body and spirit, that he does have a, a body of flesh and bones. Because then that's something that I can look to as well. I have a resurrection that I too will have a body once more. I think about this a lot. I'm going to interrupt you for a second, Mariana, before you get to it, because I, I, it just, and this is a little bit of a sad story, but we had a beautiful little baby boy who died of sudden infant death. And we were, um, we had to go to the, my husband, you know, he said, do you want to come with me? We had to go to the funeral home to arrange where he would be buried. And I was just like, it was beyond my ability to comprehend almost that this beautiful, vibrant little bundle of beauty, joy had died. I said, well, yeah, of course, yeah, of course, I'll go with you. We went and we arranged it. And then the man with whom we were working um, said, well, Lincoln is here now if you want to see him. He's in this room. And I remember just thinking, oh. It was very hard. I said, well, of course I want to see him. Of course I want to see him. We went in and here was this beautiful baby. And he looked like a little doll. He was sure. perfect like a little doll. He was, and of course I picked him up and held him. And he was so wonderful. And I will say that there was no comfort provided to me like the comfort of hearing that our babies will be returned to us yes. as babies. Similarly, as with their bodies. Th with their bodies. Right, right. And I know that, that, just may, that there may be other things for other people, but as a human being, as a human mother, there was nothing that provided the profound comfort of understanding that the Lord's plan is that that baby will be returned to me to raise. And similarly with my wonderful husband, I know, you know, after he died after a terrible automobile accident, and but he was there in the funeral home and I went and he looked so perfect to me and so beautiful. And I love feeling his spirit close to me. But the idea that we will actually be together again with him, with my daughter, with my little son, with my father, it is a true comfort oh. in a way that no other thing could comfort me. And well, I'm so grateful to, that the Savior provides us with that testament, that he became, there he was, with flesh and bones. I agree. And, and I love the fact that basically January 1st, year 2000, in that, that wonderful year where a lot of us were, you know, thinking and contemplating a new millennia and thinking about our Savior 2,000 years since his, you know, commemoration of his birth, that the apostles, the Quorum of the Twelve in the First Presidency, they wrote this beautiful, the living Christ, the testimony of the apostles, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And for me, the words are so beautiful, and I... I do hope and, and invite all of the families that we're talking to and mothers and sisters that are, are out there listening to us that they also reread The Living Christ during this Easter time. And I'm just going to read the, the beginning. Read and a few of them. Read a few of them because they're so wonderful. It's just so beautiful. As we commemorate the birth of Jesus Christ two millennia ago, we offer our testimony of the reality of his matchless life and the infinite virtue of his great atoning sacrifice. None other has had so profound an influence upon all who have lived and will yet live upon the earth. Of the living Christ, the prophet Joseph wrote, His eyes were a flame of fire. The hair of his head was white like the pure snow. His countenance shone above the brightness of the sun, and his voice was as the sound of the rushing of waters, even the voice of Jehovah saying, I am the first and the last. I am he who liveth. I am he who was slain. I am your advocate with the Father. And then finally, we bear testimony as his duly ordained apostles that Jesus is the living Christ, the immortal Son of God. He is the great Emmanuel who stands today on the right hand of his Father. He is the light, the life, 
and the hope of the world. His path is the path that leads to happiness in the life and eternal life in the world to come. God be thanked for the matchless gift of his divine son. What a wonderful gift the living Christ is to each one of us and that testimony that we know that he lives, that he lives and that we, because of that testimony, know that we can live too someday and our loved ones who have passed on, that we look forward to that grand embrace and it will be an embrace. It will be an embrace. And, and Love a, it. A, there a couple of thoughts that I had, Mariana, when you were reading it and, you know, the uh, Joseph Smith's testimony he, that his voice was the voice of rushing waters. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of a book that Charity read and then I read and it was incre- incredible. The book was called The Color of Water. Have you read it? I have read that it's book. It's a beautiful it book. book. And I loved the, the where from whence the title came. Mm-hmm. That this it was a, a written by a, a it was written about the life of the author and his mother. Right. So white woman who many, many it years James ago. James McBride. Yes. The, the writer. And and um Mary and um her she was white, but her children were all black because she right, had married a black Jewish. and, she and Jewish, Jewish. Yes, and one day the children, maybe it was James, came to her his mother and said, "Mom, what color is God?" Because mm-hmm. all these pictures, and she said, "James, God is the color of water," and I thought that was such a beautiful thought, and I love the idea of the. His voice sounding like rushing waters. I mean, it's just a beautiful. Oh, that is wonderful. The other images. fabulous thing that we have also in the scriptures is we don't need to question whether he was resurrected because there are so many witnesses, physical witnesses, that actually saw him, touched him, watched him eat food. You know, as we, we think about these witnesses, they are truly a gift for us to know that this is true. We don't have to even go on faith anymore. We we have these witnesses that have seen him. And a matter of fact, we have Mary Magdalene. And I love the fact that many of these witnesses are women. We have uh, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And I'm going to talk a little oh. more about that, that wonderful story. The, the 10 apostles. And then we have the apostle Thomas, who wasn't there when the other 10 apostles got to touch him and and touch the savior and see see him and then we have the apostles at this sea of tiberius where they're fishing and he comes and we have that wonderful story that we'll be talking about a lot more of fish stories a lot of the, fish stories lots in the of fish stories <laughs> but the feed my sheep feed my sheep but then we have the nephites in america who also are witnesses but we also have witnesses of other women who saw him, especially at the tomb. We also have at least 500 that we know that he came when the saints were all together, these new saints. But I do want to also kind of talk a little bit about the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And that we can find in Luke chapter 24. Now, one of the interesting things is I was kind of doing a little more research about the witnesses of the resurrected Christ, that we only know, we know that there were two disciples, but we also know that one was Cleophas. And Cleophas was, and and some people might not know this, but Cleophas was Mary's brother-in-law. He was the younger brother of Joseph. And the interesting thing is when we know at the, the feet of the Savior, when he was on the cross, Mary and other women were there at, at his feet, you know, crying, I'm sure. And, and, and we know that the crucifixion is a long and drawn out process. And so one of the women that was there with Mary, his mother, was the wife of Cleopas. Yes. So she would have been, you know, Mary's um, sister-in-law. So they, you know, Cleopas is the, the brother-in-law and his wife was there with Mary and I'm sure she was hugging her and I can just imagine putting her arms around her, watching the Savior as he's still alive because he's talking 
to them at that point. And that's when he says, you know, to John, the beloved, you know, see, here's your mother. But the interesting thing here is there's a lot of, we know it was Cleopas. We know that that's one of the people. Yes. But there's a lot of speculation that because his wife was there and they now have left Jerusalem and they're walking on their way home, that it was probably his wife. That was the other, you know, the the other disciple that was there. That, you know, for me, that kind of makes sense. Yes. That it would be he and his wife. The other interesting thing to note, and I'm looking at verse 13, he says, um, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs, which is about seven and a half miles or 12 kilometers. And they talked together of all these things that had happened. Now, this is the thing that I find interesting. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned together. Now, the interesting thing here is that if you look at the the Greek of this word talked and communed together, that it was more of a lively discussion or maybe even an argument. So they're kind of talking to each other. And I can imagine, you know, a husband and wife, you know, kind of going over all that had happened and discussing it and being very, and, yes, can you imagine? Yes. <laughs> and, and they were reasoning together, how could this be? And Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were holden. And if you look, it means that they were restrained. They couldn't see that it was Jesus, even though obviously they would have known him if they had been able to see him. They would have known exactly who he was. And then he says, what manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, as we said, answering said unto him, art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and has not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And then they start walking with the Savior that they don't know that it's the Savior at this point, and they tell him the story about what's happened with Jesus. I love I love this, you know, and he's listening. listening. And he's listening, <laughs> exactly. And then they go on and they say, Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre. And so I love the fact that they were talking about the women, how they were the ones that were the testimony that Jesus and these records were kept. You know what? Many people kept these records, and um, the women were certainly an important part. And they kept of the this. women there. Yes, <laughs> that's right. And, and you know they had to be very important for them to keep them in yes. because they were not inclined to necessarily. Exactly. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And then he talks, the Savior gives this interesting answer. He says, Oh, fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And then he begins to talk from Moses on about what the prophets have said about the Christ, the Savior. I wonder if he really said fools. But the, <laughs> but I will say this. I will, I will say that he had been very clear. He had said over and over again. You know, it's not once that he said, oh, the only sign will be like that of Jonas, that right. three days. And, I'll come back. and he says that in many different ways throughout the scriptures. As you study them, you find them over and over. And yet people were mortified. Right. Were so went, surprised. Surprised and probably sad. And, and even very the disciples upset. were yes, surprised. Yes, very. And so um, go on, Mark. Well, and then he says, but they constrained him. So they're they're getting to the place, you know, where, where they were supposed to get to that night. And he's, but they constrained him saying, abide with us, for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. So it's the end of the evening, it's eventide, and he comes and you can just you just know that they feel of his presence well i mean he is pretty brilliant as he always is this i mean this, this is the thing the thing right? that that of course we always have known and as you immerse yourself in the old testament and then in the new testament and the old testament then and and the, of course the book of mormon which is a different set of experiences with the savior too right. Right. but 
the Savior's absolute mastery of the scriptures is extraordinarily evident, which is a good, good Because he's the one that gave it to us. It's his word. That's right. But he knows them inside (laughs) out. Of course, it's his word. And it is a good impetus for us to study the scriptures Mm -hmm. because we realize in them we do find eternal life. In them we find the witnesses of God. But, But when he's walking with Cleopas and maybe his wife, which I love that idea, and it doesn't not make sense. Right, right. <laughs> it's a double negative. It does not not make sense. <laughs> um, he begins at Moses and all the prophets he expounded yeah. unto them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. himself. I love that. And he, it must have been quite an expounding. And though they, they may not have understood at that moment, they didn't. The res, that this was the resurrected Messiah. Right. Because they they were human beings. He had died. Right. He had died. They had, they had seen, seen it. his body. They, they had knew seen that it. he was dead. And they right. knew all these things had happened. But, you know, it takes a lot to, to, to overcome mm-hmm. our natural impulse to understand what you know, these things that happen in physical form. Oh, definitely. And I love the fact that, that Luke also is very specific as, as the physician that we've talked about before. Luke would be very aware of the physical body side of this. And and he adds this here, but he also adds it later when he tells the story about the Savior at the Sea of Tiberias, that that the Savior actually physically eats the bread. And he says, And it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to them. So he's actually eating with them. But I also love that symbol of he's taking the bread, he's breaking it, he blessed it. You know, that symbol of the sacrament. Yes. yes. And their eyes were open and they knew him. So as soon as he blesses the bread and breaks it, you know, he he knows, they know who he is. And as soon as he knew, he vanishes from their sight. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? How beautiful it's so, is that story? I mean, and each one of us. It is awesome. Now there's the right place awesome. for using that word. Awesome. awesome. (laughs) But I think in many ways, it's a parable for each one of us to be that same riding, you know, walking on the road to Emmaus, you know, as we have those questions and we're discussing and talking and wondering and, you know, in awe. And then the Savior, if we open our hearts, will come to us and help us and break bread with us through the sacrament and teach us. And that, and that is why over and over again we're told study the scriptures, pray, have your heart open to this incomparable companion who will help you, who will who will open for you and expound for you all things and allow you to understand him not only himself but your own life in different ways. So one of my, it's actually my favorite hymn is Abide With Me, Tis In Your Tide. And I, you know, it's interesting to me because they have the two, Abide With Me. And if you look at the words of both of those versions of Abide With Me, they are different. You know, they are a little bit different. I mean, the the title of the two songs are the same. And the tune is different. And the tune is different, <laughs> and so it's it's fun to to read and contrast those two. But I picked the shorter version just to to talk for a moment about, because the words just re, you know for Easter time, I would challenge people to also bring in the music of Easter. Oh, I, it's so it's the so hymns. uplifting and so joy filled. I and it and it. Doing it with your families while they're young will give your children these 
memories of music. And, you know, it's interesting. My daughter became was an opera singer. She had a gorgeous voice. And most, yeah. most of my children have very lovely voices. They sing in many part harmonies and my grandchildren as well. But my beloved mother famously did not, was not good at carrying a tune. Oh. <laughs> and yet, no, and yet. And the reason I share this is she taught us so many songs. And I cherish those songs and still sing them and enjoy them enormously. And I think that I, I use that example just because it means never say not me, because music is for everyone and it is for everyone to share. I am so grateful that my mother, who didn't have a great um, ear when it came to um, tunes and things like that, nevertheless, did the best she could to teach us music in French, in Hungarian, in English. And those t those songs are especially dear to me. So the music. The music <laughs> of Easter is so powerful. And I would say, too, sacrament hymns are usually all about Easter. And so in your homes, you know, uh, yes, Handel's Messiah, we love to play that during Easter time, but also Sing the he hymns. He is risen. He is risen. <laughs> sing the hymns of Easter, but also sing the sacrament songs too, and contemplate and think and ponder upon these beautiful words that bring us back to the true meaning of Easter. Yes. But I just wanted to read these words because these are, like I said, some of my favorites. Abide with me, fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, Help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. Swift to its close ebbs out life's little day. Earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Change and decay in all around I see. Oh, thou who changest not, abide with me. I need thy presence every passing hour. What but thy grace can foil the tempter's power? Who like thyself my guide and stay can be through cloud and sunshine, Lord, abide with me. That's so, I love those words, and I love that hymn, and I love, of course, the story that we read of these two disciples walking on this road, sad and forlorn, and being joined by someone they don't, recognize, they don't recognize at the first but who be, who takes the care to share with them the whole story from the beginning of the recorded scriptures of who he is and what his destiny was and why he came and then they feel that they want him to abide with them and he comes to their home and breaks bread and leaves, and then they realize, you know, who he is. Yeah, and of course, we can feel that in our own lives as we invite the Savior in, because as we do, as we do, as we listen to the comfort he provides, as we read the messages he sent us, as we believe the promises he's made to us, we will find that his presence in the midst of any dark night, allows us to feel peace. Well, and we've kind of been talking a lot about things that our families can do. We've mentioned quite a few of these. I would like to just also mention one other one, and that is don't forget the Book of Mormon Easter story. Oh. You know, that that is also something that as a family we should read and make sure that we remember and and read every Easter along with the Easter story in the New Testament. It's so interesting and exciting for children, mm -hmm. too, to understand those who had faith in Christ without being there and what they went through and the deliverance they experienced, too. The deliverance too. they experienced and, and the fact that the Savior, too, came to them and as a resurrected being, which I think is, you know, realize the first time he comes down, he's not, you know, he says, I, you know, I'm, I must go. But the second time he, 
Everybody comes and touches him and feels him and they feel his body and they, they know that he is a resurrected being. And for me, that is so powerful. Another witness that we can give our families that he is the living Christ. And which is so, it is such a, a wonderful demonstration of our Savior's love for us that he has chosen to give us additional witnesses of his divine calling and mission and love for us. So were there other things that you did as a family to celebrate Easter? Well, you know, I we did many things in our family. One of my favorite things we um, with our many children, and it was always a lot going on, as you said, but so we did have a buildup for Easter, which was that I would bring in a branch that looked dead. It was a branch that had broken. It looked like it was dead, but I knew which tree it came from and put it in water and I tell the kids we're going to now decorate it. And we had eggs. Now we have a new a it. new twist on it because of our chickens. We didn't always have chickens. But chick my chickens, which were um, a gift from one of my sons when they were little, um, lay all different colors of eggs. They lay oh. green eggs and blue eggs and pinkish eggs and even lavender eggs. They do not... This is very funny because this son and his little son, Timber, who is named after my um, my husband, my late husband. Um, Timber loves the chickens. Timber was fascinated that chickens actually lay white eggs because we oh. don't have any white. So all the he different was very excited to get chickens who would lay white oh, eggs. That was for him going to be very special. But um, with, with the eggs, so we, we covered this branch with all kinds of eggs that we had decorated. And then as Easter approached, the branches started to burst into bloom because it was a branch that was not dead. It looked dead, but it had, usually it was something that had broken off of one of our crab apple trees. We have many storms in Denver, so many sure, branches. Sure. And um, it would burst into bloom oh, with these wonderful. eggs on it. And that that is a wonderful, to me, demonstration of it may look dead, but there is life brewing there. I love that. Well, we have an egg bashing contest. That's and the, the fun thing about this, and I, I don't understand the whole science behind it, but I do know it's true, that if you have hard-boiled eggs that are fully intact, that don't already have a crack, that if you throw them both together, when they hit, only one will crack. One will stay intact, but one will crack. And so what we do, it's a it's a single elimination, you know, tournament. And so we we get to each other and we decorate our eggs. And of course, there's a lot of mine's going to win and yours not kind of a talk. But um, we we do this until we have a single winner. But then we talk about kind of some some of the uh, symbolism, the parable of egg bashing in that this idea of all of us go through the cuts and bruises of life, and yet we can all become a winner and remain whole because of the Savior. And so egg bashing is kind of a, a, a fun thing in our family. We just... It's it is. Our... We know it's fun because the Lunt family does egg bashing too activities and invites us to join. Yes. Ollie Lunt fun. leads the charge. That's their oldest set. They have... Ollie and um, Eliza, and egg bashing is lots of fun, oh, but yeah. it's meaningful too. It I, I, I had to tell a funny story. That, I mean, there are lots of wonderful ideas that people have, and one, and some of them are a little bit funny, but they're good. But one involves making croissant, you know, or crescent rolls, right. frozen crescent rolls. You, I'm not frozen, the kind, the refrigerator kind. Right, right. And you roll them around a marshmallow. And it's very funny to hear the children describe it because the idea is you roll around the marshmallow and when you bake it, and the crescent roll represents the tomb and the marshmallow's in it. Oh. But it melts when you, so when you open it, it's empty. The tomb <laughs> is empty. And to hear the children explain, and the marshmallow is Jesus. <laughs> so, so there are a number of fun um, 
metaphors that are a little bit, you know, a little iffy, but I, they're still sort of fun too. Well, it is fun. And I think that's bring the joy, you know, and I think that that's such an important part that we bring in the joy to our Easter celebration. Well, I know we always have had egg hunts, you know, and we have basket hunts and egg hunts and right. they are the thrill of it and the fun of it, I think is an important part of having our children. Before I was, a, I, I was brought up in a, not a religious environment at all, but my mother, to her wonderful credit, celebrated all of these holidays. My dad, to his credit, did not try to limit the holiday celebrations. And I loved the fun of Easter and had so many sweet associations. And I think it is important for us as families and parents and as people to remember that there are these great and magnificent truths and ideas that will tide us through life. But for children, it is important that there be fun and joy and that we magnify it. And Easter is a time when we can it do is a that. Time of joy. And I wanted to end with a thought by Elder Holland about Easter. And he said, um, My plea this Easter time is that these scene, scenes of Christ's lonely sacrifice, laced with the moments of denial and abandonment, and at last once outright betrayal, must never be reenacted by us. He has walked alone once. Now may I ask that never again will he have to confront sin without our aid and assistance, that never again will he find only unresponsive onlookers. As we approach this Holy Week, Passover Thursday with the Paschal Lamb, Atoning Friday with its cross, Resurrection Sunday with its empty tomb, may we declare ourselves to be more fully disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, not in word only and not only in the flush of comfortable times, but in deed and in courage and in faith, including when the path is lonely and when our cross is difficult to bear. For me, that is my thought and feeling about Easter, that we truly do look on it and joyously exclaim the hope to our families and our friends but along with that, we also think and ponder upon what are we going to do better in terms of our testimony of the Savior and bringing others to him as well. Thank you, Mariana. I think that's such an important thing. And, and we, have, we have so many in the world who are truly trudging down a lonely path. And I pray for them for the companionship of the Lord to lift them up in their darkest moments and that we do what we can to help in physical ways. But there is no comfort like the comfort that comes from that relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I, I wanted to share one more thing that we have done in our families. We do celebrate Passover and Pesach. And mm -hmm. I think that that is a wonderful opportunity to see that the Lord has brought us through many trials and he will bring us and those who are suffering through trials now as well. And there's no trial too big for him. And I'm so glad you talked about the Passover and bringing in that celebration that you bring into your family. Because I think it for those of, of you that have had that experience of Passover, to see the symbols of Passover so much and everything that they eat at Passover. It is really a wonderful and moving experience. It, it, I love the way that the gospel comes together, that it is one story. It is. It is one beautiful story. We are one family. And our love for our brothers and sisters can be magnified as we realize that our love is the Lord's love. Well, I hope and pray that all of us this Easter season can be true witnesses of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and especially witnesses to our families, that we will make sure that this celebration is one of joy, but also one of spiritual awakening and truly becoming a witness of the Savior. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, it's so wonderful being with you, Annette, and we wanted to also continue our Easter discussion 
we had Gloriana, your wonderful daughter, oh, wonderful, come and visit us. And during that discussion, she also mentioned about a letter that she wrote during her mission in Mongolia. And it has to do with Easter. And so we wanted to have you maybe read this and let us know what she was talking about in terms of Easter Sunday in Mongolia. She, she wrote this letter to us on, on Easter Sunday in Mongolia. And I think it does expand our idea of what Easter should be. She said, she starts with a scripture, and it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus drew himself near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And that was in Luke 24, verses 15 to 16. She goes on, they don't really do Easter here. They've heard of it, but mostly in the colored eggs and bunny rabbit sense. At church, the Easter song sat in the back of our little hymn book and remained untouched, and testimonies were born on things like tithing and strange experiences with drunks, like most other fast Sundays here. When I arrived home after a long day of meetings and visiting people, I made my own little observance by reading the last chapters of the Gospels. As I read about Christ coming back, I thought about the road he traveled and the friends with whom he went. They loved him, but they couldn't recognize his face as he walked beside them. When have I done that, I thought. Has Christ appeared to me? Have I recognized him? I started to reflect on the day. It had been a bit dull and cold and exhausting. There were no froofy dresses and no hymns, no Greek feast and no flower crowns. Those are family traditions. Um, but there was a little bishop's office packed beyond capacity. I shared a seat with our ward mission leader, with people tending with great effort and care to the flock which had been left to their charge by our Heavenly Father. There was staying late after church to help a granny into her wheelchair and impromptu visits to the sick and afflicted and the down on their luck. I know Christ lives because he drew near and went with me this Easter. We sat together in ward council as he asked questions like, what can we do to help Tsetsegren get, get new glasses? I saw him stop in, into a convenience store to buy a loaf of bread and a carton of milk for a sick sister in the ward, then ford through the Gare district, the Gare district mud lakes in four-inch heels to deliver them. He sat quietly beside me and laughed when the five-day-old sleep smiled in his mommy's arms. Resurrection wasn't a one-time deal. Jesus lives, and he lives in the lives of people doing Jesus' things. When we do the hard work of true Christianity, whether we be Christian or not, we again can sing with all the joy and wonder of that first Easter morning that he is risen. He is risen. Glory, hallelujah. What a lovely truth it is to sing. With all my love and appreciation, Sister Noni. Oh, how beautiful. Especially, what an example of how we can think about the Savior during Easter, and especially being like him. What great examples from the Mongolian saints in terms of how they observed Easter in such a positive, positive way. And how, what a reminder to us that the real way to observe Easter is not to get all of the place settings right and the dresses perfect, but to find how we can serve like the Savior would want us to serve. Oh, thank you for sharing that with us. I know another thought that we had that we would love to share as well when we talk about Easter is some of the things that you do as a Jewish family as you think about the Passover, because the Passover is really such a part of Easter as well. Well, Passover usually comes kind of near Easter. We know that the Savior was celebrating Passover before he was apprehended and then crucified. Um, so Passover and Easter are, et are eternally linked in that way. And we know that the Savior at the Passover meal that he shared with his disciples broke the bread, which would have been matzah, and told them to eat of his, and that this represented his body, which would be broken for them, and to drink of the wine, which we also do at Passover. We drink delicious Manischewitz grape, no, Kedem grape juice, but it's very good. Um, but that, that 
wine was his blood, which would be shed for us. So I think it is a wonderful opportunity that we have to celebrate this holiday, which takes um, eight days, seven days, I think, um, of where we abstain in, we abstain from leaven. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, the leaven of the Pharisees, which Jesus warned us of. <laughs> but, um, but most importantly, we are the wonderful Pesach meals, the Seder. And when we go through this wonderful story, and there are many different ways to tell the Seder story, but there are important elements of it. And um, I don't want to go through the whole thing now, but I will encourage those who listen to consider celebrating the Passover in their own homes. There is a wonderful book written by someone. I have it on LDS Pesach, LDS Passover, Mm -hmm. um, which draws out all the symbolism and lets us understand it more deeply. But sometimes we just celebrate a Passover Passover in our family. There's wonderful Messianic Passover, which is also wonderful and gives all the um, beautiful symbolism of the Savior's life and death and and teachings. Um, but, but Passover is a wonderful holiday that brings us together to remember God's mercy. In this case, this mercy to the children of Israel who he brought out of Egypt and out of slavery. And of course, we know that the Savior brings us out of the slavery of sin. And so the parallel is... And death and well, Death right. and sin. Mm-hmm. Death and sin. Thank you. And so the parallels are very strong and powerful. Um, and as we, as we partake of the Passover meal and the ceremony surrounding it involving the special emblems, there is a roasted egg, there are the bitter herbs, there are the greens, there are the haroseth. Um, I, I don't know if you want me to explain, it's a lot to explain all the symbolism of everything, but each one of these elements has beautiful symbolism that can help enrich our understanding, not only of the Savior and his mission, but of our own life and its purpose and the parts of it. The bitter herbs remind us that life has many bitter mm-hmm. moments and we dip them into salt water to remind mm-hmm. us of the tears we'll shed. Haroset is supposed to represent the mortar used to put the bricks in the pyramids because for years the Jews were slaves in Egypt and they built those pyramids. But Haroset is delicious. It's oh, grated good. apples, <laughs> and it's so good. Grated apples and nuts and raisins, and um, you can use apple juice or wine, you know, to hold it all together. And it's absolutely delicious, and it reminds us the work and trials are bitter. There is sweetness in them, too. We learn, we grow, and we can even have happy times in the midst of those trials. And um, so the haroset reminds us of that. The lamb bone reminds us of the lamb whose blood was shed and painted on the door um, frames, frames of, the, of the Jewish people so that the angel of death would pass them by. And that lamb's blood, of course, is, is symbolic of the blood of the lamb, our savior, the perfect lamb. And very important that that lamb was always a perfect lamb, not not a second lamb or a lamb with some problem. It had to be a lamb that was perfect, that was was sacrificed for Passover. Um, so there are so many aspects of the Passover celebration, one of them being that we always set a chair for Elijah at the table because Elijah, we know from in Malachi, was going to return before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we believe that Elijah did indeed return. And um, we, I always say that we still set the, ta- the table waiting for Elijah and leave the door open a little bit so he can come in. But I loved in one of our discussions, Mariana, Stephanie mentioned that um, that um, we might want to have that chair for the Savior mm-hmm. and imagine that the Savior is sitting with us and remember how he wants us to be during this meal sure. and in our lives. I love that. Well, and the fact that Elijah, when he did come during the restoration of the gospel to Joseph Smith in the Kirtland Temple, 
it was on the Passover day. That was amazing. So, you know, and so when you think about that, the Passover still is, you know, something that we should think about as members of the restored gospel. There is this interconnectedness, this wonderful symbology that you've explained so beautifully. I'm a big fan of Latter-day Saints celebrating some of these wonderful holidays that are intrinsic to the Jewish faith. And Passover is one of them that I think would enrich our spiritual life and teach our children. I, I, there are others, Hanukkah, which is a temple holiday, and they're all fun as well as um, filled with meaning and stories that can teach us principles and give us tools to teach our children principles in fun and unexpected ways. So I'm grateful oh, you asked. It. Mariana, for me to share. Oh, that is so great. And thank you so much for sharing that wonderful Jewish perspective, which I think all of us should think about as we talk about the New and the Old Testament. So thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. (laughs) 